Well, if we haven't met, my name is Jose, um, and we are starting a new series today called Emerge Brighter. And so with that, why don't you turn, if you have a Bible, to Ezra chapter 1. I know you spend lots of time in Ezra and Nehemiah and books like that, but in case you don't, table of contents in a paper Bible or in your app, just look for the letter E. Um, let's pray and we'll jump right in this morning. Lord, thank you for another day to gather together in your name, another week to be alive and to consider what you have to say to us. And we pray that our hearts and our minds to be open to whatever you're moving to do and uh, help us to see what you're doing, hear what you're doing, and step in in faith to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, how, how do we collectively break out of a season of darkness? Um, how, do, how do we lift ourselves out of two years now, it seems, of so much down news and, and loss? I know every one of us, we have, some of us have lost loved ones. Uh, we've lost employment. We've definitely lost personal freedoms. We've lost the way things like used to be. How do we, how do we navigate through that? And in the big picture, I just want to remind you, it's easy to get discouraged these days. Would you agree? It didn't, it didn't take a lot to get discouraged because you feel like with every bit of good news, there's about like 10 pounds of, of, good news, of bad news coming. And in the same token, Jesus said his people, this is what he said about us, his people were going to be the light of the world. You got all this darkness going on and his people, us, are supposed to be the light of the world and, and a city on a hill that you can't hide. What does it look like for us to step into that space? How do, we, how do we let the light of Jesus help us navigate through the darkness and give light to other people who may have all sorts of questions about what matters and what the future looks like? How do we help them? Well, part of the answer, the good news is, is that what God is about to do, in many cases, he's already done. So if you want to know what God is saying, you ought to always look at what God has already said. It's why we're enamored and we love looking at the Bible every week because we have what God has already done in people before us. And so you're wondering, what, what's God about to do? Well, I think what we're going to see here is that there is a people that emerged out of darkness into a brighter place. And what we want to do is look at what God did in their life to look at what God is doing in our life. So the two books we're going to look at over the next few months are called Ezra and Nehemiah. A little side note for Bible nerds. It used to be, in Hebrew it is, a one book collectively. Centuries later for us in English, it was divided to make it simpler to find. Two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. But it really is one collective narrative. What happened? You need to read them together. So we're going to look at them together. And because of that, we often go really slow and look at every line, but we're going to go more section by section to see the overarching sweeping thing that God did so we can invite God to do what he wants to do in us. All right, today there's one driving question. It's just the foundation to lay down the next two months at least. Write this question down because if you already have a community group study guide, it's in it. I want you to wrestle with this this week. How would you describe your priorities in life right now? Not a year ago, now. How would you describe 
your set of priorities, what's most important, what is now less important right now. It's what we're inviting you to talk about in your group this week. So today, this morning, is a setup for your conversation with some other people in the coming days. All right, I said Ezra. Let's just begin at the beginning. Ezra 1, verse 1, we'll read the first seven verses, and then we'll just kind of see the first movement of this book. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, side note, that's one of the prophets, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kings of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who's in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and goods and livestock and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And all their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar, who was a king previous to him, had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Okay, I I get it. If you're newer to the Bible, this sounds obscure, but here's what I want us to see just this morning as we think about how we, right here in 2021, can emerge out of darkness and out of the gloom and into a brighter future together because we're following Jesus together, where does this fit? Where does Ezra and Nehemiah fit? We gotta see where it fits in the Bible before we can figure out where it fits for us. All right, the beginning of the Bible is Genesis, a book of beginnings. God makes the heavens of the earth, God makes people, and God calls a person named Abram, we later call him Abraham, and his wife Sarai calls Sarah. And what God says is, trust me, I'm going to use you to bless the world. I'm going to create a people from your family line. Why? Because you trust me, I'm going to use you. And this group, which starts with one family, by the way, they can't have any children, but God provides, grows into a nation filled with 12 tribes, 12 sons and daughters that go and expand and expand and expand. If you read Genesis, you realize this group gets so big, they move into Egypt that the Egyptian pharaoh enslaves them because they're growing and they're so blessed by God. But God delivers them out. And what you read in the beginning of the Bible, the first five books sets the trajectory of the whole Bible. So you get Genesis, Exodus, how God gets them out, and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Here's all you need to know. The beginning of the Bible is about God calling a people to follow him. And this people are given at least three things. We're getting to this, but this foundation is really important. God says, I'm going to give you Abraham and his people land. 
I'm going to establish a space where you're going to know me and follow me and thrive in a relationship with the God who loves you. I'm going to create space for you. And in that land, there's going to be a special place on the top of a hill, and it's the temple. It's the place where God says, I'm not just going to be around. I'm going to come and visit you. Meet with me here. So God says, I'm going to give you a land. They didn't have any. He provided. I'm going to give you a temple. And then more than that, you're just going to meet with me on occasion. I'm going to provide for you a way to live. I'm going to give you my word, my teaching, my heart. If you want to know how to live and you're wondering what God wants of our lives, it's in the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They call it the Torah, the teaching, God's way. And, and God provides all of these for his people. Now here's the setup. Right after those five books, we have these like history books. Uh, we have Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Then, ah, Ezra, Nehemiah. And what we get in the Bible is who God is, what God provides, land, temple, space to meet with him and his word to live in right relationship with one another and with God. The question is from Joshua all the way to Ezra and Nehemiah, God is faithful. You answer me this, are God's people faithful? No. Straight from Joshua all the way through is a track record of God being faithful to people and people responding with faithlessness. If you ever felt like you were far from God, join the club. Everybody is. And if you look at the track record of your life, you're like, you know what, Jose? I don't know about this whole following Jesus because my life is not together. Literally join the club because everyone, pretty much from Joshua all the way through, seasons of obedience followed by long seasons of rebellion. And yet, here's what you need to know. God loves this people. God comes and visits these people. God pursues these people, but he warns them. If you continue to hate me, ignore me, like go against me, here's what's gonna happen. It's not gonna go well for you and it's not gonna go well for future generations. And so God raises up all throughout their history these people, these messengers, we call them prophets, who speak the word of God. By the way, the prophets don't have a new message. The prophets remind them of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, God's word. All the prophets do say, hey, God said this. Look at your lives. Look how unaligned you are to God. God lovingly is calling you back, but if you don't come back, you can't expect to live under God's blessings, actively rebelling against him. That's not how life works. So God raises up all of these messengers. Now, the messengers got to the point where they were going so off where they said, God's word to them was, look, if you don't turn, I'm actually going to remove my blessing. Uh, the land, you're going to lose it. I'm going to allow other people to come and take it. And I'm going to do this because you just, I've given you this and you just don't listen. And the place of blessing, my presence, my temple, it's going to be totally destroyed. I'm not going to meet with you there. Now, I'm not going to take away the word I've given you, but you're going to have to learn to follow me in a land where no one is following me. See, in the space that I give you, it's gonna be easy to go in my ways, but now I'm gonna send you to a place and let others rule over you until you learn that I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. 
until you live passionately for me. I'm kind of summarizing the Bible until we get to Ezra and Nehemiah because what happens in real history is they don't listen and God sends them away. In history, we have it from the history books, we have it in the Bible. In BC 722, the Assyrian army came and took God's people from the north of their land and wiped them out, never to return. And you think when people realize that the disobedience has consequences, that the people living further south, looking up to the north, like, wow, if we don't follow God, if we don't go to his ways, look what's gonna happen to us. You'd think they would listen, but like us, we're stubborn, aren't, aren't we? We're just stubborn. They're stubborn, we're stubborn. And so God sends a messenger named Jeremiah. You read that from Ezra 1. In the year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah. I'm gonna give you what Jeremiah told God's people, hear me, before they went into uh, and were destroyed in 586 BC. The Babylonian army came, King Nebuchadnezzar took over, destroyed the temple, took all of the holy things from God's place and threw it into the temple of his pagan God. Before this happened, Jeremiah speaks a word that may sound familiar, but hopefully the setting makes it more meaningful. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, in other words, Babylon's gonna destroy you and you're gonna live away from this land for 70 years. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, to the land that God had given. Now, this one sounds familiar. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. How many of you have heard that Bible verse before? It's printed on items and cups, but when you strip it from its setting and you forget what it means, they're about to go in their darkest day ever. Do you know, there are all sorts of reasons why we end up in dark places. For them, it was absolute rebellion. We've been in a season two years almost now of absolute confusion. There are all sorts of reasons, but before they get into it, God says, I know what I'm gonna do in you. Now, what's this plan for a hope in the future? Keep reading. Verse 12, then you're gonna call on me. You're gonna come and you're gonna pray to me. I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity, and I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I'm gonna bring you back to this place from which I carried you into exile. So there are books in the Bible, Jeremiah, and into this book afterwards from Jeremiah called Lamentations where the people, they just wail and weep, they lament because they've abandoned God and he sends them off. Now, for 70 years, they do go off. We read it in history, and now we're gonna see how they emerged brighter because 70 years later, God begins this process of bringing these people back from darkness, from living under oppressive rulers who were not followers of the one creator, God, and they're trying to live out their faith in a foreign land, and they turn to God, and in Ezra and Nehemiah, we see how they came back. Now, the reason we're doing this is not a history lesson. The reason we're doing this is to ask ourselves a question. 
What does it mean for Jesus' people to emerge brighter as Jesus' church in days that are becoming increasingly darker? What does it mean for us to live under God's promise, under God's leadership, and come into God's space and do God's things when it seems like the world's only spinning more and more out of control? And we're gonna learn by seeing what God did. All right, if you're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah as one big book, it breaks into three big kind of scenes. If this were a play, it'd be like a three-act play, although this is real history. First, Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. That's Ezra 1 through 6. And we're looking at Ezra 1 through 3 this week. And I encourage you, if you haven't read it, uh, read chapter 2 because it has all sorts of names that no one can pronounce. You should just read it out loud. You'll probably laugh at yourself. But it's the story of what happens when God uses a man named Zerubbabel to help rebuild the temple. And then the rest of Ezra is about establishing the teaching, the Torah, how the Bible became alive again in the lives of people. I'll just pause for a second and say, the Bible is alive. It is God's word forever. The question is, is the Bible alive in you? I want you to let that sink in. This book is life-giving because it is God instructed and shaped on how to live in a way that pleases him and in a way that is gonna be the best way to live with other people, the Bible is alive. Is it alive in you? And what we're gonna find out is God's people forgot about God's ways. But through Ezra, there's a revival, a renewal of what God has said. And it's like, oh my gosh, we've paid no attention but now we want to not just hear it, we want to live it. And then we're going to see afterwards that Nehemiah, who's like a government official, who's got this killer job working for the king, and, and God opens the door to rebuild walls so that they get back to the land and they worship and they're safe and they can thrive. All right, so we're going to look at this section by section. So this week, before you come into the group, just read Ezra 1 through 3. Next week, I'll, we'll map it out. You could read four through six. We're going to look at Zerubbabel and what happens in the rebuilding of the temple. We're going to look at what happens in the reestablishment of God's word. And we're going to look at what happens when God's people get together to establish a place where God's presence could be seen, felt, experienced, and where the nations could come and experience God's goodness for themselves. That's the next two months of our life. But let's just start at the beginning. What did God move Cyrus, who's not we would call a Jesus follower. What did he move in his heart to do? If you read Ezra 1, you realize God moved in his heart to rebuild a temple, and it happens. Just turn one page or click one uh, chapter over to chapter 3, and let's read what actually happened. Ezra 3, verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. So they come and they like find a little tent and create a little space. But then they come to the capital, to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, who's like this key leader, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it 
in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So this is interesting. They read the Bible, which is called the law of Moses, and they, they, they get their life back in alignment with what God had told them. This is what worship is supposed to look like. They lived 70 years. Imagine 70 years without church as you know it. A whole lifetime for most of the people. They didn't understand how all this worked, but God lovingly brings them back. Verse three, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both in the morning and the evening sacrifices. And you could just keep reading. They, they reestablished this pattern of regular worship to God in a way that, now by the way, in this first five books, God shows them how it's supposed to happen, how we worship and how we honor God. All right, how would you describe your priorities in life right now? That's the driving question. And it's what we're gonna see. We see in the first, in the first section of this book, in the first movement, what they do is they rebuild the altar, which the altar, if you're newer to the Bible, was the, the very place where God said, I will meet you right here. When you come and you recognize that you're sin-filled and you bring the right appropriate sacrifice, when you honor me and when you turn from your old ways and you come to me, I will receive you. I am God. And so, so the first thing they do is re reestablish worship. It's interesting. It's counterintuitive to what you and I would do. If you were given a new place and it was broken down, what would, what would you and I probably do first? I think the first thing I would do is build the walls first because there's all sorts of enemies who've been, frankly, living on this land. This wasn't empty. There were people living on it, but God said, no, you come back and now it's yours. I would build like the walls and then I would probably, once I got a safe space, I'd, I'd build my house. Like, right, I, I want to take care of, I, want, I need that bonus room just because it's a bonus, right? We don't need it, but it's a bonus. I, would, I want that, and, and, and I, would, I would establish like our jobs in like industry, but that's not what happens here. When things have been torn down and life has been thrown in disruption, when the life that we once knew is now a distant memory, when we wake up in the morning and we wonder what the future of our post-COVID, if that even exists, is there, is there a life where COVID is not? None of us can answer that. When we're thinking about what the future might be for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and the decisions you and I are making right now that are setting the tone for the future. Side note, you math people. 70 years that they were away from God's presence. What's the span of time from Ezra to the end of Nehemiah on the rebuilding and the reestablishing of God's presence in God's place? A hundred years. One hundred years. In other words, we need to think about the long term of what God's doing. What I want, frankly, is a quick fix. I want two years of disruption to be evaporated in 10 minutes. 
And what we're going to see is that change and transformation takes time. And that we have to be committed to Jesus for the long haul and we have to play our part now because if we don't play our part now, future generations can't finish the task. The future is waiting for you and I to be Jesus' people now. I want us to think about our priorities. What's the most important thing right now? What's the most important movement right now? Right down this line. To me, it kind of summarizes both books when you look at them together. God's people in their return from exile are called to reestablish worship as the first priority. What you see here is the first thing that God moves the king, Cyrus, to do is not to send them to build walls, but to build a temple. And the first thing the people do is not build their house but to build a place of worship. And what's happening is so beautiful. When this happens, just jump down, chapter 3, verse 10. And just read it with me. It's fascinating. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, that's the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took took their place to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David, King of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, he's good and his love for Israel endures forever. This is crazy because you got to picture this. When they first do this, there's no walls, there's no protection. They have not harvested these massive crops. They are a ragtag bunch of people who could be squashed by anyone. And what do they do? They get the temple going. And they, they, they read the Bible. It says, the priests do this and the Levites do this. And they sing songs, the Lord's faithful forever when their life's a mess. We will shout your praise to our lungs give out, even though life's a mess right now. Some of us are waiting to worship God when things are good. And he's saying, why don't you just worship me now? Like, why don't, why don't you find that I'm faithful even when you're not? And why don't you... In your heart, commit yourself as the most important priority, the worship of Jesus. Now, keep reading. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord had been laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Now, no one could distinguish, this is the craziest meaning, no one could distinguish between the shout of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. This is, I, I love this picture of church. You have like all emotions out. Some are worshiping God and others are weeping. Now, this is intriguing. Some of you in the last couple of years it's been a profound spiritual development in your life. The, the pandemic, with all of its bad, has caused you to reevaluate your life. Some of you are taking Jesus seriously for the first time or out of a period of just, just laziness or just selfishness, you're coming back to a vibrancy in Jesus. And so for you, it's been bad, but what you've emerged in your soul is that, you know what, Jesus is real, I'm gonna go for him. And so you're like, you're shouting for praise, like, Lord, thank you that you woke me up. Thank you that you heard my cry. Thank you that you brought me back. That's some of you. 
Others, church is so hard right now because of your memories. Like, Lord, can you just flip it back to 2019? Where I just worshiped, you know, no mask and no hand sanitizing and, and everyone's here and it's just filled with awesomeness and I want, I, I, I want to I get back to the way it used to be. Hey, look, that's where our church is right now. When you walk in, some of you are just saying, where did everyone like literally go? Like where are they? I know. But where, other than Idaho, like where, where are they? Many have moved away um, from, from this community and they're in another community. Um, some are here in town and just said like, you know what, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going back. After two years, I realized what I wanna, what I wanna do is I wanna, I love Jesus, I wanna follow him, but I'm not ready for the organized things for whatever reason. Um, and so you have people who are here saying like, I, man, I, this is just not what it used to be. I mean, goodness sakes, you're giving me bottles of water. Like, where's the coffee? Like, you know, like, where, where's church the way it used to be? And, and, and this, is, this is, look, this is where we are right now. Worship is happening. And some, the, one generation, they've lived in Babylon their whole life hearing about this place of God's blessing. So they are freaked out with joy God, you've been faithful. And others, all they could see is the past and the way that it used to be and how this is, this temple, by the way, in history, it was not as beautiful. It was not as big. It was not as like, majestic as the previous one. And, and God was still worshiped there, but these people had to wrestle with how, where do I fit with what God's doing in the big picture. And I'm here to tell you, like, if you've been wrestling in your soul about, like, today and God, where are you? And the future and what are you doing? And where do I fit? And God, what place do you want for me? You're not alone. That's why we're doing this together. We're taking all of the fall to ask the Holy Spirit, what is our, like, what is our word as a church for what we're supposed to be about? And I can tell you what the word is. It's in both books. We worship and we work. God is calling us to himself together no matter what it looks like. And it doesn't look as pretty and it is more complicated and it's not maybe what it used to be, but Jesus is saying to us, I want you together to worship me. The question is, where is our heart? Because the movement from darkness to light starts with priorities. So we're asking this question. Now here's the good news. Ezra 1.5, I'll repeat it again. Put it on the screen if you missed it. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites. So all of these people, everyone whose heart God had moved, notice, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. There was so much that they had to do, but our hearts need to be moved. Now for them, it was a dangerous, treacherous, treacherous physical move back to a land that had been totally destroyed. You think downtown Portland's a mess right now. You think our city's a mess. You think our government's a mess. You think our schools are a mess. You think this country's a mess. Listen, they were going to absolute chaos. And, and, God's word to his people was, 
First, be moved. Now, not everyone went back. But everyone had a part to play because those who physically did not move back were to give. They couldn't go home for whatever reason. Maybe they had a job in the government back in Babylon. Maybe they were, whatever the reason is, we don't know. But what they were called to do is some physically moved, but everyone had their place. They were to send this group of people back to the land with the materials and the resources ready to rebuild the temple. So much of our life has just been changed in the last two years. So many things have been shaken on so many levels. And I feel like for many of us, we're still like living in the rubble. Uh, Some good has come out of it, some not so good. But in the rubble, I'm just wondering if we would be honest enough in this next couple of months to ask ourselves these honest questions. Because of what's happened, where are my priorities right now? And are my priorities right? Worship before walls. That's what you see in the people of God. That it's easy to get caught up in secondary important things, but to get things out of order and out of alignment. It's why we need each other. And so let me ask you, describe your priorities in life right now. Where are your financial resources going right now? Compare it to two years ago, and and you'll see a shift where your money is, your heart already is. So what what are you putting your hope in? Where are your resources going? Where's your energy and time and, and, and like excitement? What, you know, for some of us, we picked up new habits in, in, in this season, right? Some healthy, like uh, I'm making bread. That's not, not a bad thing. I'm like a sourdough guru now. I didn't, I didn't want that in my life, but I, I picked up a good habit. That's not a, that's not a bad thing, right? My golf, scar is, my golf score has never been lower. Like I'm doing better at golf than I've ever done. Why? I can't do anything else. And so some, some good things have happened. But you know what? I've also seen some unhealthy habits creep in and shift priority and attention. And I'm asking God to reorient my heart. God moved their heart to act. And, and we were asking the Spirit. Um, let's state the obvious. Rebuilding is messy. And rebuilding takes time. And rebuilding has ups and downs. Just do a reno in your home. You realize it ain't nothing like HGTV. It takes longer, it costs more, and it has more like things you did not expect. But it matters. And so the opportunity and the invitation for us in this next season is to learn together. So we're giving you the guide. And if you're in a group, you're gonna be asked this question, how would you describe your priorities in life right now? Do me a favor before your group meets, or if not, just plan to connect with one or two other people, have coffee a day or two from now, and and press into this question. Be honest before you get to your group and ask yourself where your priorities really are, and maybe you'll find that God has done some good things, and He used these negative circumstances to turn your attention to things that matter. We want to celebrate that. This isn't all like bad. But if there are some things where you realize, you know what, I haven't thought about it, but now I recognize, I don't know if I'm focusing on the most important thing, or I've let these really important things drop on the list to a lower priority. 
the Spirit of God will show us if we're honest. And so rather than telling you what to do next, I'm inviting you and the Holy Spirit to have an intersection. Even now, the worship team's gonna come, and we wanna respond by asking the Holy Spirit to now take what we heard and, and pin it to our circumstance. And if you find yourself like, you know what, Jose? I already realized I've drifted out of what God would want for me. Fantastic. Guess what? It was worth it because God is the God who brings us back. And just like Israel got off course and God brought them back, God wants to bring you back to a place of thriving and health and wholeness and vitality, and he wants to, you to emerge brighter, but it starts by, by resetting your priorities on what really matters. All right, I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet if you would. We wanna respond in worship to Jesus. Holy Spirit, take these moments right now and use them, God, to identify places, people, circumstances that are important to you and give us the eyes to see what you're trying to do in our world and the ears to hear what you're trying to do and, and the faith to trust you, God. God, like you moved their heart, now move our heart, we pray, so that together we would gather in praise to your name in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together and respond in worship.